0: Hi there, I am Sarah Jane Case, and I am the host of your new favorite show, Enneagram and Coffee. This podcast is dedicated to discussing the beautiful and hard parts of being human. We use the tool, the Enneagram, a personality map that has taken over the world, for increased self compassion, personal growth, and healthier relationships. If this sounds up your alley, listen to Enneagram & Coffee on the iHeart app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts online. Hello, everyone. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Katherine Lowe. Dr. Lowe is a pediatrician with a particular interest in gender-diverse youth clinical assistant professor with the University of Washington School of Medicine, and an executive committee member of the American Academy of Pediatrics section on LGBT health and wellness. She is one of the co-authors of the new book from the American Academy of Pediatrics, Uology, A Puberty Guide for Everybody, which I will link in the show notes. In today's episode, we will talk about how to support gender diverse children, how we can raise awareness and understanding about gender, how we can use language that is inclusive of all kids, and much more. Let's dive in. Our first sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay L Y N Z Y for 30% off your order, and I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, we have Dr. Lowe here. Thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today to talk about gender-diverse youth. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So I'd love to start just by having you tell us, you know, how did you become so passionate about advocating for gender diverse youth? And how did you also, second part to the question, get into writing this new book that's going to be coming out, which is Uology, which I'm very excited about?
1: Yeah, well, I would say I started to become really passionate about gender diverse youth maybe seven years ago or so. I'm a pediatrician. And when I was in training to become a pediatrician, I did not learn about gender. I did not learn about gender-diverse youth and how to help those youth. So in my practice as a pediatrician, I started to get to know some gender-diverse youth professionally as well as just out in the world. And the more gender-diverse youth I got to know, the more I was um, so impressed By so many of them to see the strength and the courage that it takes uh, youth to share with others about their gender identity if it does not fit social norms was really incredible and inspiring to me. I've had the privilege to see a number of youth transition during their childhood, and I have been so amazed to see these youth really thrive once they get to know who they are as far as gender is, and to watch them many of them just flourish once they are supported in their gender identity and allowed to live their life as their true self.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And so can you describe just a little bit about what this book is about, Uology, and then kind of how you got involved with it?
1: Yeah. So the book is called Uology. It's a guide, a puberty guide for every. So it's a little play on words there that it's for every child out there regardless of their body. I had the idea to write a book on puberty a number of years ago when I was honestly looking for a good puberty book just to read with my two kids, let alone to recommend to patients in my pediatric practice. And as I was looking for a good puberty book, I noticed how so many puberty books don't really include all kids and all bodies. Mm -hmm. So I had the idea that a good puberty book should be written that speaks to all kids, regardless of their gender identity and regardless of differences in their bodies. I am very involved with the American Academy of Pediatrics. So I was able to talk with their marketing and publishing department about the American Academy of Pediatrics, perhaps wanting to publish such a book, which obviously they were very interested in that as well. And it was through the American Academy of Pediatrics that I was introduced to the two other authors on this book, Trish Hutchinson and Melissa Holmes. We were introduced. Those two authors have written a couple of books on puberty that are more binary. We can chat about that more if you'd like. And they, on their own, were also thinking about writing another puberty book that is inclusive of all kids, regardless of their gender identity. So the three of us authors were brought together to take on this project to write a puberty book that speaks to every child.
0: So let's start from here and just, do you mind defining for us gender and and sex just as a whole? Like what are, let's just start with the definitions.
1: Yeah, I think it's so important anytime we're talking about this topic to just start by defining these terms. So we're all starting from the same place. So first I usually like to define the term sex, also known as sex assigned at birth. So this is when a baby is born. And somebody in the room looks at that baby and really is looking at their genitals. And somebody says, it's a girl or it's a boy. That is somebody's sex assigned at birth because literally it's assigned at birth. And that is typically based on a baby's outward genitals, whether they have a penis and scrotum or whether they have a vulva. Gender identity is something a little different. Gender identity is really a core inner sense of who we are as a person. So every person has a gender identity, whether we've thought about it or not. But it's an internal personal core sense of who you are in regards to gender, whether you are male or female, maybe you are some of both, maybe you feel you are neither. So, again, gender identity is something we hold within ourselves. Sex assigned at birth is really typically based on a baby's genitals. Oftentimes, these two align, but sometimes they don't, and that's okay, too. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, as a pediatrician, have you seen that more kids in 2022 now are able to feel more comfortable coming out and saying, you know, I relate more to being male or female or what have you? Have you noticed that it feels more comfortable for kids to be coming out, or is it roughly the same?
1: Yeah, and I like the way you put that. Do kids feel more comfortable coming out? Yes, would be my answer to that question. I do hear from more and more kids these days who are able to feel comfortable enough to share with me or other trusted adults in their lives that they feel their gender identity is different than their sex assigned at birth. So yes, more and more youth are talking about that these days. I would also like to add, I am not sure that there are more youth who are gender diverse today than in years past. I think we hear a lot more about it because hopefully these kids do feel more safe and comfortable to share that with us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was born in you know 1985, and the progress that we've made since I was a kid, I think, is pretty miraculous compared to how it was, like, even when I went to school, and I'm rather young, I'd like to think. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I do feel that there is more support, you know, as a whole, just from society, even, you know, that, it's, it it hopefully feels a little bit more comfortable for these kids. So I was just curious to hear, you know, what your thoughts were on that. How can we, you know, whether we're a friend, whether we're family, whether we're a cousin, whatever it is, how can we help support these gender diverse kids?
1: I think there's so many different things we can do to help support gender diverse kids. There are some concrete things we can do as adults. We can offer different toys to kids. So a lot of people might think certain toys are only for boys. Cars and trucks are only for boys. Dolls and princesses are only for girls. I think if we as adults can start to break down those kind of stereotypes we have in our society and offer all toys to all kids. So if you have a child in the house who is assigned male at birth, it's great to offer that child cars and trucks and a doll and princesses to really start to break down these boxes that we have in our society that girls can only play with certain things boys can only play with other things so we can offer all toys to all kids same thing with colors you know to offer pink and blue to all kids and clothing to not box our kids in with certain types of stereotyped clothing Those are some real concrete things we can do. Getting maybe a little more intricate, I think we can really look at how we communicate with kids, how we talk to them. As adults, you know, trusted adults in kids' lives these days, we, I think, need to be starting the conversations with kids about gender so they learn what gender is so we can give them language for them to share with us their thoughts on gender and their own Their own gender identity as well. And that can be hard when some of us adults are still just learning about gender too. So I think a way to help us do that with kids, I always like to go to kids' books. So to buy some books that tell stories of gender diverse kids. And there are lots of great books out there right now. And then we can read those books with our kids as a way to help us all develop language about how to talk to our kids about gender. And if we have kids come to us and uh, share with us that they feel that they are gender diverse, meaning maybe they feel they're transgender, or maybe they use a different word to describe their gender identity. But if they share with us that they are gender diverse, I think that is a real intimate, important moment as far as communication goes. So I would encourage all of us as parents and trusted adults To simply hear that from any child who shares that with us and to listen to them, to support them, to accept them wherever they are at right then and there. I think a lot of parents and adults might feel fearful if their child comes to them saying they're gender diverse or they're transgender. And a lot of times that fear comes from a place of love. So... For example, a parent might feel fearful if their child says, I think I might be transgender. That parent might worry that that child might be bullied in life or might have a harder life path. And some parents out of that fear might try to tell their child, no, you're not transgender. Really, if we do that, we're going to actually cause even more harm to our child. Now, if our child is sharing with us something really important to them about who they think they are or about their own self-discovery, what is most important is that they hear from us that, I hear you, I validate your feelings, I accept you this way, and I'm here to walk along this path with you instead of reacting from a place of fear. But if our if our kids know, first and foremost, we love them unconditionally, we will support them unconditionally throughout life. That message is a message that's going to help them get through their life to the best they can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I have two things to say about this. So the first is that (laughs) we have four kids and uh, three are girls and one's a boy. And so, you know, when he was born, I was like, I'm, I'm simply not buying any new clothes. I'm not buying any more toys. So, you know, he grew up in all of his sister's clothes. He grew up, I mean, he's still, he still prefers playing with all the girls' toys. Like he's gotten a few things from Christmas that are, you know, trucks and cars and you know, what have you, but he's still very much drawn to like whatever the girls are playing with, which I think is, is really great. But he also He's, you know, he doesn't have like his whole wardrobe. He's like, okay, I'll wear that. He just doesn't, he doesn't have that trigger that's like, oh, well, that's pink. Like, I'm not going to wear that, you know? So I think that's been really great for him. But the other thing I wanted to ask you was as far as supporting gender diverse kids, are there any, you know, supportive groups that people can be part of, whether that's, you know, online or. Is there like chapters offline where people get together and have these like supportive groups in person for parents and for kids?
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you asked that because that that can be so important for kids who are gender diverse as well as for their families sometimes. So, yeah, finding support groups is often critical for these kids. So. Many schools might have a group or a club within the school that is for kids who are gender diverse or who have a different sexuality. Sometimes they're called Saga groups or GSA groups. They often have a different name, but checking with your school to see if there's a group within the school for kids who are gender diverse can be super helpful. Otherwise, there are many organizations at the state level and the national level. That do provide support groups as well. So, one of them is PFLAG. That's a big national organization with state chapters where oftentimes people will meet regularly as they wish. And that one is more for friends and family members of people who are gender diverse or um, with a different sexuality as well, so that these important people in their lives have support for themselves as well. And so they learn how to support their loved one. So looking for a PFLAG group locally can be great. Another great organization out there is called Gender Spectrum. And they are based out of California. They are online. They have a lot of resources online, both for individuals as well as their family members and friends to learn about gender. They also have online support groups that people can join as well. So there's getting to be more and more organizations and support groups. And it is that can be so important for gender diverse youth to see other youth like themselves and maybe even to get to know some adults who are also gender diverse and just really see themselves represented in the world it can be huge. And it can be huge for parents who are maybe struggling to find support from other parents who are going through similar things so that they can all best support their child.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. That's the one thing I I have loved about the internet is that, for so long, people that had either, you know, some rare condition or illness or what have you and couldn't find anybody like them, you know, or or parents that needed support, you know, with their child that had, you know, a specific condition or illness or anything. It's just like a really cool place to like find these support groups and find other people that are, you know, have the same Condition that you have, or maybe that your child has, and just be able to find that support because before we had the internet, people weren't able to to find these groups, and it's it's really great, and it makes them feel, I'm sure, a lot less alone.
1: Yeah, for sure, it's a real positive with the internet.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) one of the ones. Of course, I'm like this (laughs) whole. Yeah. Okay. So, how can we? I think we as parents, and then also, what can we do with our children to help raise awareness and understanding about gender?
1: Yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge, I think under that question, is that a lot of us adults don't really understand what gender is. So that's an important starting place. A lot of our kids understand a lot more about gender than we do as adults these days. And that's important to know too. So for us as adults, I think a place to start in understanding more about gender is to start with ourselves. So I think before we can really understand gender diverse kids we need to look at our own experience about gender. And for some people, this meal may feel totally new. But as I said earlier, we all do have gender, whether we have realized that or not. So in order to do that, I like to suggest everybody just taking a minute alone to think through this themselves and to ask themselves some questions. So I obviously am a woman, so I'm gonna use feminine words here. But for me, I would sit and think or write and ask myself, when did I first know I'm a girl? And I can think back in my life. And honestly, I think I can maybe, I picture little three-year-old me playing outside with my friends, just knowing I'm a girl. I just kind of knew it. And then to also ask yourself the question, what messages did I receive about gender when I was a child? So what messages did I receive about being a girl from my family, from my school, from my community, from the media? That's a huge one. So I can think back to being three years old and I can kind of think through what messages I was taking in. I was, I was learning what it, quote, means to be a girl. It meant pink. It meant dresses. It meant being not rough and tumble. It meant certain activities. And then the next question to ask yourself is, how did I feel about those messages? Honestly, for me, I felt okay about those messages. I didn't really know different. I didn't really have different desires. So I was okay with that. Now, everybody's going to answer these questions differently, but it's really just a chance to reflect back on your own experience of gender as a child. I think after we reflect on our own experience, then we are at a better place to listen to our kids' experience of gender during their childhood. So that's kind of how I answer that question for the adults. For kids, again, I think kids are learning about gender a lot younger than we are, but I would just, I think, reiterate the importance of us as adults talking to our kids about gender. Talk about gender. What is gender? Are you a boy or a girl? How do you know? How do you feel about that? Do you feel like You're neither or both, but just to open up the conversation. Sometimes those questions might feel a little much for some parents to start with. So you can start with talking about something as simple as colors like pink and blue and to talk to your kids about pink and blue and you can ask them, do you think pink is only for girls or do you think pink is for girls and boys? And to talk about, do you think certain colors are only for certain kids? or all colors for every kid. So you can start by talking about colors or toys or clothes. I think as adults we can also point out to our kids things we see in the media. When we see people who are maybe going outside of gender stereotypes in the media, we can point that out and talk to them and say, "Look at that. Look at that man who is a baker." And loves decorating cakes. So pointing that all out so they can see all the wonder all the all the wonderful gender diversity that is out there is a good place to help our kids start to raise awareness about gender as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, so what about our language? How can we use our language so that it includes all kids and doesn't make assumptions?
1: Yeah, I think language is really evolving right now, English language in regards to gender. Lots of kids use different words to describe their gender identity these days. So some kids may talk about their gender identity being transgender, gender, agender, gender fluid. There's many different words. So I think if we can listen to the words our kids are using and then echo those words back to them, that can really help them feel like we are being more inclusive of all kids, that we are open to all gender identities, and that we aren't making assumptions about a child's gender identity without asking them first. So I think it's important to use the words our kids are using. I also want parents to know it's okay if we don't know what all of those gender words mean I know, that I our just kids are say, maybe I, using.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit confused myself. Like I haven't done a ton of background, you know, researching as into like, like you're right. I mean, I think that kids, I mean, I think it's great, but I'm also almost lost because I'm like, I didn't learn about any of this when I was younger. You know, you learn, you learn basically, I had like one class, I think it was in, it must have been seventh or eighth grade that was, okay, you know, this is what sex is. And that was basically it. And, and to be honest, like, that's definitely not enough, you know, for sexual education, but that's a whole nother discussion. So, you know, I'm really excited that this is becoming part of their conversation. But I think as parents, too, it's important for us to keep up and understand, you know, our kids are going to be coming home and using this language. And how can we learn more about it and, and keep up? Yeah,
1: and I think the best way to do that is when our kids use maybe gender words that we as adults haven't heard of or we don't know what it means. I think we just need to be honest with our kids and just say, oh, I haven't heard that before. What does that mean? And it's also important to know that kids and adults, too, but might use the same word, such as transgender, and it might mean something a little different for each kid. So it's always okay to say to our kid, you know, oh, you just said trans transgender. Can you tell me what that means for you? So to take a little bit of the pressure off of ourselves to know it all and to know what all these words mean and to to know we can just be honest with our child and just say, oh, can you help me understand that? Tell me what that means and then use it the same way they are using it going forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So how can we best support all kids to learn about puberty in a way that decreases shame for everyone and increases understanding of everyone?
1: Yeah. And that, you know, I've really been diving into puberty recently with this new book coming out. So I've been doing a lot of reading on that and talking to kids about that. And I think there's a number of ways we can talk about puberty in in a better way maybe than we've been doing. So First of all, I'd like to just reflect back on traditionally how we teach puberty to kids and why the traditional way is harmful. So traditionally with puberty education, that education talks only about cisgender kids. So cisgender kids are kids whose sex assigned at birth is the same as their gender identity. So if a baby is born assigned female, that baby grows up and knows she's a girl on the inside. And same with assigned male growing up knowing he's a boy. So traditional puberty education only talks about cisgender kids. It excludes transgender kids. So transgender, like a transgender girl, would be a baby who was assigned male at birth because that baby had a penis and scrotum, and grows up and knows she's a girl on the inside. And then vice versa for a transgender boy. So those kids have, have never been included in puberty education. So nor have many other kids, such as you kind of alluded to this, but maybe kids who are gay or bisexual. Traditional education only talks about straight kids. It also has excluded kids with special needs, And it's excluded kids whose body parts aren't exactly what they think they are. So, traditional puberty education really is tailored only to cisgender straight kids, excluding many others. So, if we think about this in regards to gender, traditional puberty education, if there's a transgender girl there, she traditionally might be confused by that education because if she knows she's a girl, Yet, the puberty education is saying girls have ovaries and get their periods. She's a girl who happens to have a penis and a scrotum. So that can be really confusing. Same for transgender boys. It can be really confusing for them. First of all, they don't see themselves represented. And that can really harm their mental health. When they see their teachers up there talking and not including them. Or their doctors talking about puberty and not including them. So it can really hurt their mental health. There's even a quote I like to share on that, kind of the, the mental health effects of when gender diverse kids are not being included when a trusted adult is speaking. And the quote, it's by an American poet. Her name is Adrienne Rich. And the quote is, when someone with the authority of a teacher describes the world and you are not in it, There's a moment of psychic disequilibrium, as if you looked into a mirror and saw nothing. So I think that quote obviously goes well beyond puberty, but applies here when we're doing traditional puberty education and we're excluding gender diverse kids. Those kids are sitting there, perhaps having the feeling that they're looking into a mirror and they see nothing. So the mental health effects of that are really harmful let alone the physical health effects of that. So when we exclude transgender bodies, when we talk about puberty, those kids aren't learning about their own bodies. They aren't learning how to take care of their bodies. They aren't learning how to stay healthy, how they can prevent sexually transmitted infections in their body. They aren't understanding, or likely, perhaps they aren't understanding about pregnancy and whether their body can get someone else pregnant or can get pregnant themselves, and therefore they can't understand contraception for themselves. So we do kids an an incredible disservice when we exclude gender-diverse kids in, in puberty education, traditionally. Also, traditionally, I know in my puberty education growing up, I think it was fifth grade, one day they said, okay, girls, go to that room. Boys go to the other room, and all the secrecy and the whispering and what's going on in the other room, and all the blushing that was going on from everyone, you know, so traditionally, when we separate, quote, "boys and girls into different rooms to talk about puberty, that actually does a lot of harm too. So kids then are not learning about each other's bodies. They are not learning from trusted adults. How to talk about our bodies with other people?
0: Yeah, there's so much wrong with that. Oh my gosh,
1: so much wrong yeah, with that. Yeah. And also, when when we separate boys and girls for puberty education, if you think about the transgender boy who was born assigned female, has a uterus and ovaries, but everybody knows him as a boy, and maybe they don't know he's transgender. If you're saying boys go this way, girls go this way, where does he go? Does he go with the other girls to learn what his ovaries and uterus are going to do, to learn about what's a period, what am I going to do when I get my period? If he goes there, you can imagine what all the girls are going to be thinking, looking at him in that room, perhaps. Kind of forces him to out himself as being transgender, and he may not want others to know that. Or does that transgender boy go with the other boys and sit there and hear about things that happen to them in puberty when they get erections and all of that, knowing he doesn't have that? And that can be so harmful. So kind of wanted to walk through traditional puberty education and why that can cause so much harm to gender diverse kids. So I think the alternative to that, to get back to your original question and how can we do... Good puberty education for all kids is I think, first of all, we need to keep all kids together. So everybody learns about every body during puberty, just to set kids up for success, for future intimate relationships, and just so they all learn how to keep their body healthy. And then when we talk about puberty with all kids together, I think it's best if we simply talk about body parts and what happens with body parts during puberty. So instead of saying girls get their periods during puberty, we should be saying kids who have ovaries and a uterus will get their period during puberty. And here's what a period is. And here's what you do about it. And likewise, instead of saying boys get erections and their penis and scrotum grow, instead of saying boys there, we can say Kids who have testicles and a penis, their testicles will grow during puberty. Their penis will grow during puberty. So I think we need to, I like to say, take the gender out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's such a simple language switch parts. too. It's, it's and a it's simple not even, language switch. Yeah. I mean, so where are we as far as, I mean, I know that you work really closely with the Academy of uh, Pediatrics and everything. And where are we as far as with our sexual education within schools? Where are we with that? Like, are some schools starting to implement anything like that? Or are we still really traditional?
1: Yeah, that's a difficult question to answer because the answer really is it's very variable throughout, the, throughout our country. It's, it varies on the state. And there are state laws that dictate it in some states. It varies even within some states, it will vary on per the school. So I do know there are some big public schools that do this really well that are keeping kids together, are talking about body parts instead of gender, or instead of connecting body parts to gender. So some public schools are doing this awesome and it's great, and those kids do great, and others aren't doing it at all. Or well, others are aren't even doing
0: do. sexual education at all. Yes. <laughs> right. right. Like, oh, yes. Right.
1: Or there's none of it, which is so scary.
0: Very uh, scary. For kids to not mm-hmm. be
1: taught that by trusted adults because as we've mentioned, there's the internet out there these days.
0: And Well, it's really dangerous, really, I feel like yeah. it's more dangerous now. We ha- I had done a podcast, you know, about sexual education and all that with kids. And it's it is so dangerous these days compared to how it was, you know, even back when I went to school because I wasn't able to even if you don't give your child any access to the internet at all, right? No matter what age they are. Their friends are still going to be whispering in the corner and have their phone or your child could be over at their house and they do have access to the internet. I mean, your kids, you can't keep them sheltered and you can't just say, Oh, well, they don't need to learn about that yet because they're so young. Well, unfortunately, these days we don't have that luxury, right? Yeah. And it, and it stinks, but we have to get them educated. And, you know, and then when they do see that, they can say, Oh, I already know about that my mother told me about that or my school already told me about that. And I think that's really powerful, you know, for, for them to already know all of these things before they are actually exposed to it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think it is really on the trusted adults in kids' lives these days to get the accurate information to kids before they get it somewhere else where it's inaccurate and yep, does a lot of harm.
0: All right. So I do have some questions for you that we haven't gone over yet. Is there anything you wanted to add to our discussion so far, or do you want to hop into those? We can jump into those. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So one of the big questions is, so as a parent, what age should we start talking about this with our children?
1: I think we should be talking about this from the get go. You know, as as when kids are toddlers, we can definitely be talking about colors and pink and blue colors. So I think from the very beginning, in a developmentally appropriate way, we should be talking about gender and we should be talking about colors and toys and activities and how everything is for everyone. We can talk about how we can't tell someone's gender identity by looking at them. Yeah, I think needs to start from the very beginning. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just like we do with, you know, when you teach your kids about consent and you teach them about puberty and all of that. Okay, here we go. Does awareness at a young age, so this person put in parentheses age 12, create in, so already I feel like this is probably way too late for the kid to be, yeah. So create increased gender related issues. So, so giving your kid more awareness of this at Age 12, does it create increased gender related issues?
1: I, you know, not knowing exactly what issues, do you know what issues this, this,
0: no, she didn't really about? clarify. Okay. I think she's maybe wondering does talking to her child who's 12 about, gender identity and saying not everybody, you know, everybody's born with a sex assignment, either penis or vulva, and that not everybody relates to that. And so somebody might consider themselves, you know, a, a girl or a boy, but they might have different body parts, that sort of thing. Will that create gender-related, yeah, gender-related issues? So I'm assuming she's she's saying that, will that affect her child in a way that makes them start to think, oh... You know, maybe I'm not who I thought I was type of thing Mm -hmm. is how I'm reading that question. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, again, I think there's no age too young to talk about gender. I've had many conversations with three-year-olds about gender who are fully capable of understanding not every girl has a penis. Or I'm sorry, not every girl has a vulva. Not every boy has a penis and scrotum. So kids are fully capable of understanding this at a very young age, preschool age. You know, if the question is more, if if the question under the question is maybe I'm scared to talk about gender with my 12-year-old because I'm scared it might make them think they're transgender. If That's, that's how the I'm kind fear. of reading it. Yeah. Okay, if that's the fear out there, I would say to that that we cannot make anybody be a different gender identity than they are. So, I am a cisgender woman. Nobody could convince me that I'm. No matter how how hard they tried, gender identity is just something that we each hold true within ourself. So it's, we cannot make somebody be transgender. So talking to your child about gender at age 12 is not going to make them be transgender. Now, maybe talking to them about gender at age 12 and talking about what it means to be transgender, maybe that will make them think like, huh, I have always felt like my body doesn't match who I am. Yeah,
0: kind of gives them more support to, to yeah. you know, explore it more. Yeah,
1: and I know lots of, I, lots of transgender and gender diverse people from super young to super elderly. Each of them come to realize their gender identity at a different point in life, and some people don't realize it until they're twenty years old, or forty, or sixty, or 80 because maybe they've never been given that language. Maybe they've never seen that out in the world. So they haven't even known that is a thing. And maybe they've always lived with this internal turmoil and maybe depression and anxiety, and they've never understood why. So for those people, helping them understand gender, yes, might help them come to name their I, gender, their gender identity as being transgender for the first time, but it's not going to make them become transgender.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I
1: don't know if that helps. Yeah,
0: no, that does help. And I actually, my next question for you was going to be as a pediatrician, have you seen, I know you just said that, you know, it might take somebody 20 years, 40 years to to actually figure out exactly who they relate to the most. But is there a common age that you've seen where kids will come to you and say, or, or you know, start questioning how they feel about it? And is there a s- specific age where kids seem to become more curious about it? And if so, do they typically start to immediately start to relate to that gender more or is it usually a longer process? Yeah. And
1: that's that too is totally variable. And I think we do know, just thinking of child development, we know kids at the age of two to three years old in our society, kids at that age, they have... Learned about gender expectations in our society, so they have they've learned the messages that we put out there that girls typically wear more pink and maybe dresses and play with dolls, and boys blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kids around by age two to three are are learning that. So some kids at that age might start to think to themselves, "I'm learning these messages, and I don't feel like I fit into that box." They might have those feelings and they might not. Some kids, when they go to school, so starting kindergarten, age five or six, sometimes that can be kind of a pivotal point in kids' lives. They go to school. They're maybe surrounded by lots of other kids. At that point, they might start to think, I don't fit this box that I've been told I should fit. Sometimes another common time is around the time of puberty. If a kid's body is starting to change in a way that does not align with their gender identity, that might be a time when they really start to think, my body doesn't match who I am on the inside. Another common time is when kids go off to college or graduate high school and and move out on their own. Sometimes moving away from home for the first time allows them the freedom To really tap into the feelings they've maybe been having of, I just don't fit into this box. So there's many kind of different developmental points in kids' lives when kids might start to identify the feelings they're having. But I think it's also important to note, it's two different things. If we ask, when does a kid know their gender identity is different from their sex assigned at birth? The other question is, when do they feel like they can share that with someone? Those are two different questions that might happen at two different times for mm-hmm. so many reasons.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, this question, let's do this one first. How do I deal with a partner who thinks that having open discussions with kids too early Gives them ideas, kind of like the, the other question. But you know, how does she deal with that? How does she talk to her partner about it? Yeah, if not on the same page,
1: right? And that's a common question that I think a lot of people are struggling with when there's a partnership and somebody wants to talk about gender with their kids and somebody doesn't want to. I would point people to resources out there if that's the case. And again, there's getting to be more and more great resources. There's many books out there that adults can read to understand gender, to understand gender diverse youth. So there's books out there. There are great websites. I mentioned Gender Spectrum before. Human Rights Campaign has a lot of great information. PFLAG Online has a lot of great information. So I would encourage people to just, first of all, inform themselves and seek out education for themselves about gender to understand it more. Because I think a lot of adults are scared to talk about gender with their kids, maybe out of fear that's maybe really coming from a place of simply a lack of knowledge and understanding. So I encourage adults to first teach yourself, find some trusted sources and learn about gender. Along that, looking for good information, you might then learn that really we do more harm by not talking about gender with our kids than by talking about it. By talking about it, we can normalize it for them. We show them, hey, I can handle talking about this with you. So if you're ever having feelings or questions about gender, you know I'm a safe place to come to. I could talk about this with you. I'm comfortable with this. This is something we can, we can do. There's so much good that can come from talking about gender. With well, yeah, kids. and
0: then they can be supportive for someone they might know too, you Absolutely. know, even if it doesn't apply to them themselves, that gives them the invitation to support someone else who may not be getting the support that they need, you know, just making them aware of it. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think now, as we talked about earlier, more and more kids are coming out as being gender diverse or transgender that even if your own child is not gender diverse, they know kids who are. Gender diverse kids are everywhere. They're in every school throughout the country. They have peers who are gender diverse. So simply to understand their peers better is so important.
0: All right. Let's see here. What else do I have? Are there signs that as a parent, I could be looking out for that might indicate that my child is transgender or gender variant?
1: Yeah. Again, of course, it varies. But I think, you know, with young kids, Really watching your child and observing your child and, and seeing when are they happy? when are they maybe distressed or withdrawn or depressed? you know, are there certain things that make them be withdrawn? So some transgender kids who are not supported, so maybe aren't allowed to wear the clothes they feel most comfortable in, have the hairstyle they feel most comfortable in. Some transgender kids, without support oftentimes can have a lot of depression and social anxiety. They can be really, really withdrawn. So kids with mental health stuff going on like that, I think it's important to think about gender. It may or may not be a piece of it, but we know gender diverse kids without support do have greatly increased mental health risks. So anytime you see that going on, you know, I think if you have a boy, or your, your baby was assigned male at birth, and you have a boy and he really loves dolls. And He really likes to paint his nails and he likes to play with other girls in the neighborhood. I think, yeah, maybe that boy is a transgender girl and maybe not. Maybe he's yeah. a boy who likes yeah. dolls and likes yeah. to paint his nails. So yeah. I caution parents who maybe see a child going outside of our expected gender norms, I caution parents to not jump to think, oh my goodness, is my child transgender? But instead to really just stay in that moment with your kid and just keep supporting your kid in whatever they like to do without, and it can be hard for us parents, but without looking ahead and thinking this is going to turn into some gender identity that I'm scared of or uncomfortable with. But so instead of always thinking so far ahead with our kids, just stay with them where they are and walk along them instead of trying to get ahead of them and anticipating what the future
0: will hold. Yeah. Yeah. Say someone's child says to their parents, you know, I am transgender or or what have you, and they want to really connect with the school and make sure that the school's on the same page, what can they say to their school about helping them to support their child? Like, should they contact them? And, you know, what should they say? That sort of thing. Like, how do you handle school?
1: Yeah. So I assume you're talking about the parent. Like, yeah. Should the parent yeah. What can the parent do? Yeah.
0: Yeah. What can the parent do in talking with the school to make sure everyone's on the same page and making it the best supportive environment for that child that is now transgender? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important for parents to reach out to the school. You know, I like to think schools will be open to that and supportive and want to know how they can support that child. So I think for parents to contact the school and find, find an ally in the school, and, and sometimes it's the principal, sometimes it's a teacher or a parent liaison or the school counselor. But find, find someone who is really supportive and work with them to identify changes maybe that the school can make to more support that child. I think it can be helpful for parents to directly ask the school, hey, do you have a policy on how you support gender diverse or transgender kids? To just really straightforward ask, do you have a policy? And if they don't, you could maybe suggest a resource for the school to work on that, such as Gender Spectrum has a lot of resources for that. I think parents can talk to the school about, as I've talked about before, puberty education. And to ask them, hey, is your puberty education inclusive of transgender kids? Is it co-ed? Is my kid going to be included in that puberty education? I think asking about a saga group or GSA group. So one of those groups or clubs I mentioned before that are for LGBTQ kids. We have a lot of research out there that the research shows that schools that have such clubs, the gender diverse kids feel a lot more supported. They do a lot better academically, mental health wise, et cetera. So requesting a club like that is another great way to ask your school to be more supportive. Asking your school to look at kind of the little things they do that could be harmful to transgender kids. So a common example of that is a lot of times teachers will say, will split kids up into boys and girls. Well, for gender diverse kids, that can be another moment when they feel stuck and they don't know which side to go to and they feel like nobody sees them or understands them or accepts. So kind of helping the school identify little things that they could maybe change so those moments don't happen. And I know this is a long list, <laughs> but I do, again, want to point people towards Gender Spectrum online. They have lists like this that you can easily pull up online and bring to the school. They also, Gender Spectrum also has a really great form that parents can download and print and bring to the school. It's a form, like forgetting the exact name of it, but it's a transition plan. So a child who's going to be transitioning, it really asks lots of questions to help the parents and the school think through this all together and fill it out together. So everybody is really clear about how the school can support the child. So it talks you through things like, who is going to know that my child is transgender? Do we want the teachers to know or not? How are the teachers going to handle it if another student you know, is maybe making fun of that child? What are they going to do? What are they going to do about a bathroom for my child? What forms can we change so my child's new name is on everything? It's a really comprehensive form that parents can print from gender spectrum, fill it out, bring to your school, and it will walk mm-hmm. you through everything you need to think about.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. So, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to add to the conversation at all? I have two questions to ask you, but they're unrelated to the topic.
1: I don't think there's anything to add. I think, again, I would just like to emphasize, you know, for parents out there, again, I think it's important for us to start thinking about our own gender identity when we were a child, you know, look at ourselves first, and then just to really listen to our kids and just. Make sure our words and our actions show our kids we love them unconditionally. And if they are being brave enough to share with us something about their gender identity that we didn't know, we need to send the message. I hear you. I validate what you're telling me. I love you unconditionally. And even if down the road, then they come back to us and say, maybe their identity is something different. That's okay, too. And we, again, say, I hear you. I validate with what you're telling me. I love you unconditionally. That We just need to be consistent with that because our kids know we are always going to be there with them. Mm -hmm. They're going to keep coming to us and talking to us, and we can help keep them safe.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, no matter what the topic is, you know?
1: Absolutely. Goes with every topic.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So two questions I ask all of my guests here. And the first one is, if you could give mothers one type of advice, what would it be?
1: I would want mothers to know that perhaps the best part of parenting is maybe a little different than we think when we go into it. I think the best part about being a parent is, as I've talked about, is really having the true privilege of getting to watch our kids develop into their own unique, authentic, true self. Not necessarily this preconceived idea of who we think they're going to be. And I think if we can really get to the place where we can see their true selves, that is, I think, the best part about parenting.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And seeing them thrive, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the second question is if you could make one meal for everyone in your family that they would eat that's quick and easy. I know. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) always laughs. It's like, okay, that's a unicorn. I have nothing. (laughs) 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 Oh, what would it be? I mean, it could be takeout pizza if that's where we're at. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I well, the first thing that came to my mind for my family, a quick, easy dinner that everybody would eat would be a pasta dinner because somebody would eat it plain with butter and Parmesan. Somebody would put vegetarian red sauce on it. Somebody else would put a lot of veggies on it so we could all make it work for each of us and everybody would be happy. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, what I've been starting to do uh, this is like I don't know why this was this this like rocket science for me. Like never thought of this before, but somebody had brought it up to me and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's kind of genius. Let me see if it works." But we just make we all eat the same meal like that's, we don't make certain meals for each kid. Everybody eats the same meal. But what we've started to do is separate things as much as we can. Some meals you can't really, but most you can just adding a bowl of veggies into the middle of the table. So even if, you know, one of my kids is like, Oh, not having this tonight. Don't like any part of it. There's veggies in the middle of the table. And nine times out of 10, they'll just eat all the veggies on the table. And I'm like, Oh, what was I thinking not doing this before? And it keeps them in their seat because typically like they'll be oh I don't like this, I'm going to get up now, <laughs> you know. Okay. Especially when they're young, they're like I, you know, if I'm not going to eat this, I'm not going to sit here. So, it's just kind of like encourage them to actually sit with us and then we're able to have this family dinner together which we really want to instill as like one of our just something we do as a family every night. And it's been hard to like keep them there, but when you have something on the table, anything that they can Relate to and say, Oh, I I know I like that. I can at least chew on that, you know, whether it's like a a pepper or what have you. It's been like really life changing for me. Yeah. (laughs) So Uh,
1: I love that. We often do that similarly. Like, we will always at least have fruit and bread on the table. And then we might try different things that are maybe scary and intimidating, but there's something. Everybody likes the table.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Something safe, something that's comforting, but that also pushes you out of your zone a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) thank you so much, Katie, for taking the time out of your day to talk with us today about this really important topic.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to motherhood meets medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun.